0: grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I said earlier we are in the fourth week of Advent. We've got um, all four candles. Thank you to the Schamburg family and this is the time that uh, things start on fire when we start lighting all those candles. Has anybody noticed that uh, the Advent season here in Wisconsin uh, coincides with the deer hunting season? And does any, did anybody know how many deer hunting seasons there are? Paul can probably tell us. This. I mean, there's the regular gun, there's black powder, then there's antlerless, and then there's another one coming up. I was like, so I thought it'd be a good thing for us to just talk about a little bit of hunter safety, a little bit of tips to uh, when we're out in the woods. I had a couple friends of mine, um, not really, I had a couple friends of mine, Elmer and Fred, we'll call them, hypothetically, and Elmer and Fred went out hunting, out in, uh, you know, up in the Barren County where it's, you know, woods forever, and they got lost pretty quick, right around noon. Fred started to freak out. Elmer said, oh, don't worry about it. Well, I know exactly what to do. He said, all we got to do is fire three shots into the air and just wait. That's the universal code for we're lost. Come and get us. And Fred said, all right, let's do it. So they shoot three shots into the air. And Fred said, well, how long are we supposed to wait? And Elmer said, oh, about an hour. So they wait about an hour and nothing happens. So well, well, now what do we do? Well, we do it again. So they fire three more shots in the air and They wait for about an hour and nothing happens. And now this day's starting to get a little long, you know, going a little late here and starting to get a little dark. And now Elmer's even a little worried. So they do this a couple more times. They don't wait an hour in between these shots anymore. They're starting to really, you know, speed things up a little bit. So now it's getting dark and Elmer, like I said, is getting a little worried. And Fred says, Well, you know, what are we gonna do? And Elmer said, I don't know. I'm getting concerned here. First of all, it's getting late, and it's gonna get dark soon. And second of all, we're down to our last three arrows. Paul was the only one that saw that coming. All right, so good old Elmer and Fred, we're talking about hope this morning. Hope is here. They were putting their hope into something they didn't quite understand, they didn't, uh, something they didn't quite fully understand. And so this Advent season, we've been looking at what, I call, what I'm calling the words of Advent. Um, and we, there's four of them, one that coincides with each of these candles. Um, we have love, we have peace, we have joy, and we have hope. Now, hope is usually the first one we talk about. Uh, But since I was out of town that week and Master Shulo filled in for me, um, I want to circle back and I want to talk about this word hope. And I think, I feel like it's one of the most important words that uh, coincides with our relationship with the creator of the universe. Hope is one of the most important words uh, when we're talking about our relationship with the creator of the universe. And that word hope, if you've been here um, for a while or over the last couple weeks or ever been in here, we're going to put some more meaning on that word hope. We're going to understand what that word means uh, according to the Bible and, and what, um, what, how we can build it back into our lives um, w- according to the Bible. Because if we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, the word hope and its derivatives, um, you know, hopefully and hopeful and hopes and hoped, things like that. Uh, we get that word about 140 times between the Old and the New Testament. It's almost actually split almost in half. Uh, but its root word, again, uh, is kind of um, used the way we use the word um, hope. Um, we use the word hope, if we were to sit down with a committee and define the word, uh, we would use it to, to describe the feeling of a future, the feeling of a future that's better than the present. That's what hope is, the feeling of a future that's better than the present. Um, doctors state that um, the feeling, uh, the state of anticipation or hope um, is important for our well-being. Uh, people who are more hopeful in the, in the English sense of the word um, tend to live better lives, healthier lives. Now, um, obviously, it's an important concept in the Bible that we need to talk about. Now, if we talk, start in the Old Testament, talk in the Old Testament, um, there's, uh, we use one word for hope. The Hebrew language has three. Um, one that's not as common, two that are very common. Um, so the first one um, is rather, I call it rather mundane. It's kind of just, it's a word, um, the Hebrew word, yahal, And um, it means simply to wait. So if you're waiting at the bus stop, you're waiting for the bus, you are yahal for the bus. Um, it's used in different places in Scripture. For example, when Noah and Jesus was talking about Noah, so I thought we'd con, um, connect those two together. Uh, when Noah was on the on the boat, you know, and his family, and the rains had stopped, and they're floating around, um, Noah had to yahal. He had to wait for the waters to recede. Right? Something he knew was going to happen. Like if, sorry, for example, if you're waiting for the bus. That bus may or may not show up, and it may or may not show up on time. So it's something that we're just waiting for, just a simple, the simple waiting for. So the other Hebrew word, the one that we're going to talk about more in depth today, is very similar. It sounds kind of the same, but it's kaval, the, the Hebrew word kaval. And this is where things get interesting. This word gives a connotation of, of expectation or anticipation, expectation or anticipation, while you're waiting. So you're expecting something while you're waiting. It's used in some very interesting places, um, but it's always, almost always referring to God's power, God's protection, God's saving grace, kaval, right? Spell it just like it sounds, kaval. Uh, like I said, even God's protection. It's, it's really interesting, though, to take these Hebrew words that have a lot of depth of meaning to them. Hebrew, in the Hebrew language has far fewer words than the English language does, but it's, I, I've always said it's a picture language. So when we hear these words in Hebrew, we should get a picture painted in our mind, in our So when we see the word chaval, we think of the word hope, but not the way we think about it. I'm going to get to it in a second. But it's used in different ways in different scriptures. It's kind of surprising to me. Like one of them I dug up, if you will look at the book of Joshua. The second chapter of Joshua, um, Joshua sends um, some spies into Jericho, right? And they run into some trouble and they start getting caught and they start getting, they're running, for long story short, they end up in Rahab's apartment, up in, and Rahab lived on the outside of the, of, the, of the city. So she lived on the city wall and her window looked out into the rest of the, of the world. And so the two spies end up there, um, Rahab says she will help them. And she lowers them down. You guys know this story, right? She lowers them down um, you know, with a red cord, with a red, with a red rope, a red cord. She lowers them down. But she asked in, in payment for that, uh, in response to that, that, that she would be spared. That her and her family, that, that that room, that that building would be spared from the destruction that was about to happen. And the spies agreed. They said, yep, okay, no problem. We, we get that and we appreciate you helping us. Now, that cord, are you still with me? That cord that she used to lower down the basket the Hebrew word for that is kaval. The Hebrew word for that is hope. The Hebrew word of this, this, this cord, this red cord going down to the ground, is actually the same root word as the Hebrew word kaval for hope. So now, this was a sign of God's protection, is what it really ended up being. Because then when the Hebrews came in, the Israelites came in, and they attacked the city, the walls fell down, except for that section where, um, where Rahab was and her entire family. So again, it goes beyond um, this, this, this wing and a prayer, this hope that we say in English. You know, we say, we say hope, but um, in, in the Bible here, in the, in the biblical sense of the word, it's, it's a guarantee. right? That red cord was not only a sign, but it was a guarantee of Rahab's God's protection and safety for Rahab and her people. Now, so now the biblical hope is about waiting. It's about waiting with anticipation, with expectation. Waiting for something you know is going to happen. Like I said, we, we don't know that that bus is going to get there. We're hoping, you know, we're anticipating, we're waiting for it, but we're not all in like that. So, okay, so if, if the word kaval means to wait with a hopeful anticipation or expectation, something you know is going to happen, the question we should be asking while words like this are being spoken um, is waiting for what? You know, what are we waiting for? Now, that, the Sunday school answer would be very obvious and very, you know, is in this, like I say, this sterile environment. And here all of us are thinking the same thing, you know, because we're here for that specific reason. But when we're out in the world, you know, what are we really thinking about? What are we really cavalling for? Waiting for what? If we look at Psalms, if we take a peek at the Psalms, uh, we see this theme of waiting for or waiting on God, but not just waiting on God. Look at this. Um, Psalm 130 I picked. I could have picked a dozen of them. Here's, here's a good one, though. It says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. Remember how I so, I've told you that Psalms kind of repeat themselves? They kind of say something, and they say it again. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits for the Lord. And in his word, I put my chaval. In his word, I put my Chaval. so what we can trust, what can we can know, what can we can understand, what our expectation or what our anticipation should be is in his word. Okay, so then, okay, then the why should we put that in there, right? Why should we put that in there? If we stay with Psalm 30, uh, 130, verse 7, it says, Israel, put your chaval, your hope, in the Lord because the Lord's love never fails. And look at this. He sets his people completely free. Why are we putting our hope, why are we putting our trust, why are we putting our chaval in God? Because he sets his people completely free. So now biblical hope is based on a person, right? It's based on a person. Biblical hope is not based on on your ability to do something or your ability to not do something, to avoid something. It's also not based on optimism. I want you to think about that for a second. You know, like I said, Hebrew has three words for hope. We have one. We need to get a little bit deeper when we're reading that word hope in the Bible. When we're reading about biblical hope or we're reading about our hope in God, we have to think about it differently. How many of you golf in here? You stand on that golf tee, right? I hope I don't hit it into the woods, right? Or I hope I hit it. It's based on our ability, and if it's me, it's based on a lot of luck, right? But the biblical hope is not a roll of the dice. It's not a chance, it's something we know is going to happen. It's something we expect to see happen. It's also not based on optimism. A working definition of optimism means choosing to see how circumstances in a situation could work out. Okay, I could, I'm optimistic, I could hit this ball down the fairway. There's a chance I hit this ball down the fairway, right? That's optimism, right? For me, it's really optimistic. But you see where we're getting at here. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a, an ironclad guarantee. Right? When Rahab threw that cord out the window and left that cord out the window, she knew she was going to be protected. There wasn't any other way that was going to work out. No evidence, though, and many times um, it's, it's completely the opposite. We see something, like I said, optimism is seeing something, um, seeing how a situation could work out. Biblical hope is just the opposite. Sometimes there's no evidence that things will work out, and yet we still choose to put our hope in that person anyway. What it really boils down to is, is that faithfulness, the faithfulness that God has shown us, right? In his past motives, his past actions, right? That's our, we put our hope, our trust in his past, right? But we put that, because of that past, we put our, his, our hope and our trust in the future of what he was going to do. So literally, we look forward by looking backward. This is who God is. This is what God has done. This is what God has promised. Therefore, we can understand that that's what is going to happen in the future. So then we talk about what hope. What is hope? Where do we help? we stay in the Psalms for a second. It says this. So, Lord, um, what hope do I have? Where's my hope? And it says you. You are my hope. You are my chaval. Right? What am, what am I supposed to hope for? What am I supposed to wait for? You, Lord, are my chaval. And that idea, that concept, carried over into the New Testament. The disciples recognized immediately who Jesus was. Well, maybe not immediately, but they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. When Jesus said to Peter, who do you, not people, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one that the Old Testament talked about, you're the one that we've been waiting for. They understood. Now, maybe I should say that they knew. They didn't understand everything, every aspect about it, but they knew who he was, right? So they knew who he was. And the, the life, death, resurrection of, was God, it was literally God setting his people free, setting his people free. That, that empty tomb literally opened up a new door to hope. Right? And in the Greek, we use a different word. It's the, word, the Greek word ilpis to describe that anticipation A new, and then the New Testament we talk about it a little bit differently Peter calls it the living hope right he calls Jesus literally the living hope again this hope is based on a person the risen Jesus overcoming death and the apostles pointed out that Jesus overcame death overcame the grave and that's what that's what happened to Jesus and that's God's plan for the rest of the universe that's God's plan for you so we don't say we hope for that we say we know that's going to happen at Advent, we talk about, we talk about the, the Bethlehem narrative, right? We talk about the past. We talk about well, Jesus coming in the past. But Jesus spent all this time talking about him coming in the future, what he's going to do in the future, what he's going to do for our future. And he says, put your hope, put your trust, put your faith in me, and then your future is ironclad, taken care of. That's why that's Sue's favorite verse back there from Jeremiah. And if you gave me a couple of hours, I would get to that Jeremiah verse, but I'm sorry, that ended up on the cutting room floor, and I'll get to that some other time. But that's one of the main themes of the New Testament, Jesus being our hope and coming again and taking care of us in the meantime, if we're gone before that happens, that reoccurring theme. It's that Greek word ilpis, and it's essentially the same as the Hebrew word kaval. It speaks to us putting our hope in, in, in the certainty of that person, Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews 11 kind of starts making all of this come together. You know, I've said it many times that sometimes we look at the Bible in little chunks and little compartments and little pieces. We have to start thinking about it differently. We've got to start thinking, how do these verses work together? How does Jeremiah 29, 11 work with Hebrews 11? And then when we start, we take those verses home with us. We start reading them. Man, all of a sudden, they preach themselves. And you don't need this guy up here doing this because God speaks to us through his words. It says this. It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Again, we start putting our our kaval, our ilpis, in a person rather than an event or a chance. And this is actually one of my favorite verses, um, not just because I'm talking about it today, but this is actually one of my favorite verses for real. Faith gives us a confidence that what we put our hope in is real. Faith gives us a confidence that what we put our hope in is real. That's why that word substance is all about. Something you can actually hang on to. Right? The disciples saw Jesus standing there in the flesh, even after he rose from the dead. That's why he ate fish. That's why he said, why don't you touch me? Why don't you know, be on, I'm, I'm here. I am real. I'm substance. So we're putting our faith, we're putting our hope, we're putting our trust in something that's real. Things hoped for, things expected, not see if we, I still hear you thinking that in the English language, Hope for, it's a roll of the dice, man, it may happen, it might not. No, this is a guarantee, ironclad guarantee. Faith is a substance of things guaranteed by God himself. Evidence of things not seen, now we do not see him. Remember last week we talked about this, Jesus said, you see me now, pretty soon you're not going to see me. Okay, so we don't have that benefit, we don't have that luxury, but we are still putting our faith in the substance of who he is and what he's done and how he does things. I mean, something actual, you know, uh, when we talk about hope in the English language, and I talk about this a lot, but I'm I'm holding a pencil here. I'm, I'm not hoping that I'm holding a pencil here, right, in the English sense of the word. Right? This substance means it's something as solid as that pencil, something as, as solid as the pew that you're sitting on, the pew in front of you that you can hang on to, that substance that's, that's there for real. Not imaginary, not something that might be a wing in a prayer, no, something that's solid evidence right there. So again, not just celebrating that Bethlehem narrative, but we're also separate, celebrating Jesus' second coming, which again, he talked about a lot. The Son of Man will return, the Son of Man is coming again. When the Son of Man comes, who knows? But when he comes, this is what's going to happen. That's the point. Just like the first time, no one knew. No one knew he was coming, when he was coming to Bethlehem. They figured out, yeah, we know it's Bethlehem, but we have no idea when or where, how that's all going to happen. And Jesus said it's the same way in the second coming. In Matthew 24, I read it a second ago. Maybe we should go back to it, 36. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, when he's coming again. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son of Man himself. The Son himself doesn't know. Only the Father knows. He said, it's going to be just like in the days of Noah. You know, Nobody saw that flood coming except Noah. Nobody saw that flood coming. They were partying. They were celebrating. They were marrying. They were doing work. They were doing their regular days. And then all of a sudden, bam. He said, no, we've got to be ready for that because it's going to happen when we least expect it. His returning is going to happen when we least expect it. But the point is we know he's coming. That anticipation, that expectation, that, that assurance. We call it hope, but it's really not hope in, again, the sense of the English language. Something we know is going to happen. Do we say we hope the sun rises tomorrow morning? No. And if we got a, in a philosophical debate, we could talk about that, but you know the sun's coming up tomorrow morning. I don't say I hope it's cold outside when I go outside. I know it's cold when I go outside. So we don't talk about it like that, but this is how the Hebrew language and the Greek language come about this and tackle this word. The point is we know it's coming. We know it will happen. That's the hope Jesus points us to, and it's really he, him pointing us to himself. Our hope is in a person, not an event, not in, the, not in happenstance. Jesus wants us to be filled with hope in him. And again, don't confuse this, this ilpus, this hope, this guarantee with optimism and just changing the way we look at things, or trying to get the best in any situation. That really isn't the substance of things hoped for, not the way that Hebrews talks about it anyway. And without Jesus, we would literally have no hope, no strength, no joy. Remember, in the Hebrew word, the hope is connected to the word cord, right? Rahab threw that cord out, that guarantee, that that safety net, right? She had the assurance that she needed. And just as God promised to provide us with that gift of faith, He also promises to give us the gift. Let me back up. Let me say that again. In in Ephesians, we see that faith is a gift from God. Okay, so we, we get that. But do we also understand that hope is a gift from God, that hope is something that God gives us? I talk about the source of comfort, the source of peace. We've got those locked in pretty good. But look at Romans. Well, before we look at it, Romans is an incredible book, if you've never read through it. Sixteen chapters of what we call pretty sound doctrine. Not pretty sound doctrine, of sound doctrine. We can talk about why Paul wrote it and his purpose earlier or later on. But he starts to sum it up. Sixteen chapters long, he starts to sum things up in the 15th chapter and in the 16th chapter. The 15th chapter, verse 13, Paul is starting to sound more like a, a, a doxology or something like that at the end. It says this, I pray that God, look at this, the what? God, the source of hope. Where does hope come from? Our hope comes from God. Where does our faith come from? Our faith comes from God. And again, this is not hope in the sense of optimism. This is not hope in uh, that it's up to my ability. This is not hope in a roll of the dice. No, this is a source of confidence. This is a source of expectation. This is the source of the guarantee that will happen. And you know, I've been talking about, like, I call it though, I'm entitling this the words of advent, right? And so you might be thinking, well, well, we just threw some good sounding words together. Love, joy, hope, peace. Those are great sounding words, right? Well, if we look at the Bible and we look at how these words interact with each other, it all of a sudden becomes this line that goes through the Bible. It's not like we're throwing darts and hit hope and said, wow, let's use that one. And we hit faith, well, oh, let's use that one. No, these are all coming together at the same time. These all make sense and they all work together. Now look at this. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and with peace. Will fill you completely with joy and with peace. Remember what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. right? New spin on these words, more depth to these words. When we see peace, we should be thinking shalom. Not the absence of conflict, but that the shalom makes us complete. In God's peace, He makes us complete. not by giving us an easy life, no, but because we join ourselves with Him. And now the Hebrew word for Shalom means a brick wall without any bricks missing, without any pieces missing. That's who we are. That salvation now comes to us and we're not missing. we're not lacking anything. That joy, remember we talked about Nehemiah 8:10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our protection. The joy of the Lord is our tower, our, our strong tower. Right? That's what we're talking about now. That, so is the source of that guarantee. Where do we get that guarantee from? He's going to completely fill you. He's going to make you complete, and he's going to protect you. That's who he's going to be. That's where we're going to be. Again, there's, uh, there's a, another half dozen verses that combine these words together. Why is that? Because you trust him. Trust is the word... Um, pistos, it means it's, the, it's like faith. right? Why? Because we have our faith in him. And then he brings it home. Right? And we had to add a little bit of this to, to understand it a little bit better. Then you will overflow with confident hope. Confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, not a roll of the dice, not a wing and a prayer not maybe maybe not no confident hope a guarantee that we know what's going to happen we got a contract that says this on it that God would fill you and completely completely fill you with his joy and this peace so that we trust him with that shalom right that's biblical hope and that hope has already come into the world in the form of Jesus like i said the disciples knew it They couldn't explain everything. They didn't understand it completely, but they knew it. They knew that the promise of the hope of the Old Testament was filled. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He's there to fulfill the Old Testament. The cool thing about that Greek word, um, ilpis, though, that we see a couple times in that that verse right there, um, it's not used in the Gospels. In the Old Testament, the word hope is, Expectation guarantee is talking about the Messiah. While the Messiah was on earth, while hope was literally here standing there with them, they didn't hope the Messiah was going to be there because he was there. Again, I don't hope that I have a pencil in my hand because I have a pencil in my hand. So through the Gospels, the word ilpis doesn't appear. Parenthetically, asterisk, it appears once. When Herod is talking and he says, I hope that Jesus performs a miracle for me. It doesn't have anything to do with the Messiah. But then after Jesus um, rises from the dead, after he ascends into heaven, we have the rest of the New Testament, and we've got a a good bang of 70 times where the word ilpus talks about not the Messiah coming here, but the Messiah coming there. The hope that the Messiah is going to fulfill, the guarantee that the Messiah is going to fulfill in his second coming. But since that living hope is already here, since that living hope is here among us, all of that is available to us. How the hope that now lives in us makes a difference in us. The hope that lives in us should make a difference in us. And you can tell who has hope in their life, who has that living hope, who has that Christ hope, that biblical hope inside of them. Not I'm hoping you know that we get home safely. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the guarantee of salvation. That Jesus said, I, that's why I'm here. He said in John 14, I am going to build a place for you. I am going to do that. You don't have to hope that that's going to happen. That is actually happening as we speak. And when that place is ready, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. So we don't have to hope that Jesus is going to come back and get us. We know that Jesus is going to come back and get us and take us to where he is. By the way, his father's home is in heaven. That's biblical hope. That's the the nail on the wall where we hang our hat at the end of the day. That's when we put our head on the pillow. That's the comfort that comes with that. That's why he fills you with joy. That's why he fills you with peace. So that you can understand that everything he's talking about is going to happen. So we should maybe get rid of that word hope or maybe replace it with something else. Maybe we should caval each other all the time, right? Because that's a guarantee. That's that cord hanging out the side of the wall that says this is protected here. And it's protected by God himself. You are protected by God himself. You have that joy. You are made complete by God himself. And the result of that is that we should be able to confidently say that confident hope Right? Not just a wing and a prayer hope, that confident hope we should be able to say that we have this done already for us. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm coming again later, but you might be with me by the time I come again the second time. And all we got to do is to remember to look up, to keep looking up to who he is and what he's already done for us. Again, he's the God of the past, he's the God of the present, he's the God of the future. So based on what he's done in the past, we know what he's going to do in the future the same idea, right? Now, remember I said that the, the word hope isn't in the gospel. Like I said, it's 70 times, 70 times after the gospels to remind us of who he is and what's going on, to, go, to experience God's joy, God's protection. Not because of circumstances and not some form of optimism, but a guarantee, that shalom guarantee. So my question for you is this, and my challenge for you at this Christmas season is Is this? You know, that, that hope is here in the world, right? And yes, he's coming back, but he is here in the, world, in the world in the form of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So our hope is here. Our hope is a person. My question to you is twofold. Number one, has that hope come into your life? And second of all, maybe more important for this crowd especially, maybe more importantly, who do you know that that hope needs to be in their lives? Who do you know that needs that hope in their lives? Christmas season and Easter season, people are a lot more open to hearing the gospel and hearing who God is. Like I said about the disciples, they knew, they can't explain everything, they didn't understand everything, but they knew. Nuts and bolts. And some people need to hear that. And so my challenge for you is this, has that hope come into your life? And do you know somebody who needs that hope in their life? should be saying yes right now <laughs> amen would you please stand with me and let's confess together what we believe in the words